0: And good morning, good Sunday morning, it's a great morning out there, if you're a duck. Financial opinions this hour solely those of the commentator, not necessarily those of Bellwether Investment Management, Inc., Newstalk 1010, or Bell Media. Information discussed should not be construed as investment advice, and individuals should consult your financial advisor. I'm Ian Grant, and this morning here on the Sunday Money Show, we have investment advisor Alan Cameron from Bellwether Investment Management in studio. Good morning, Mr. Cameron. How are you doing? Good morning. Very well. How are you? Good. Good. It's looking good out there. I mean, uh, not weather-wise necessarily, but financial-wise. Uh, yeah. Weird start to the year, and uh... yeah, I mean, uh, <laughs> well,
1: we were talking about a couple of weeks ago how what a good, what a good first quarter we yeah. just had, but uh, April's carried on that same trajectory, so. Yep, things are looking must pretty be good.
0: be tough for you guys, you know, because when it's down, it's like, oh, how mm-hmm. long can it continue to be down? And then mm-hmm. it's up, it's like, how long can it continue to be... Do you remember a streak where it was good? Like, it was just okay, and let's just, you know, it's oh, it's nice, let's no, just no. leave it where it is. You, no, know? you
1: never have those goods. <laughs> a, there is no, uh, there's no just right porridge in this story, you know. <laughs> it's either too hot or too cold. Um, one of the more interesting things about this market, and uh, really this entire bull market going back to these beginning of the recovery in mm. 2009, coming into the financial crisis. One of the interesting things is just how unloved and how unparticipated this whole bull market run has been, which makes it a whole lot easier to sustain, right? If, I mean, if if you're gonna find a peak in markets, the accompanying sentiment at that time generally is, this is gonna go on forever, think fantastic, isn't, isn't everything wonderful. Yep. That's how you get to the peak, right? You're not going to get to the peak when a huge percentage of investors have not yet participated in it. Still, at some point, will likely have to do so. They're going to have to uh, get their money working for them, and uh, that can be the fuel that continues to, to 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 support this fire of a market for years and years. Right? And, do you mean apathy? Uh, you, well, yeah. You've got to you've got to kind of have an unloved bull market for it to carry on. <laughs> right? If everybody agrees that things are fantastic, then. You know, you're taking it to that extreme. If everybody believes things are fantastic, then they're all invested already. They're already bought all they can buy. And that makes it the peak, right? You find the same thing at the bottoms of markets as yeah. well. When everybody's convinced it'll never rise again, well, that has to be the bottom because they've all sold.
0: I can remember when the whole Greek financial crisis mm-hmm. was happening and it was the first time I really noticed more of a meh reaction from markets mm-hmm. and pretty much everyone else. And I remember thinking at the time, something seems to have changed. And then Trump mm-hmm. came in and again, you know, he did things that you would have thought would have sent the market mm-hmm. flying. And again, shrugged its shoulders. It's it's this new sense of meh.
1: Wouldn't it be a a strange and odd side effect of the whole Trump presidency and the the unusual nature of it, let's just say. Uh, If one of the things that that did was take a market that otherwise would have shot higher based on things like tax reform Mm -hmm. and, and some of the other changes in policy that were made. Yeah, they should be pretty supportive of not just the market, but the economy but what if what if the rally ends up becoming much more sustainable and long running because th- that that uncertainty of trump that uh, you know and and the palpable distaste that a good number of uh, not just U.S. citizens hold him in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, well, maybe that's helping to stop things from getting overheated, helping to stop the the market from becoming too one-sided.
0: What about potential trade wars? I mean, that again mm-hmm. is that people just waiting to see what happens, or is that again people just shrugging yeah. their shoulders and getting on with their work?
1: Well, I mean, two years plus ago, when, when <laughs> he came on it uh, onto the scene as president, we talked about this then that his his incendiary nature, the, the the tweets. I mean, this is a really the first presidency that has gone straight to to the public Absolutely. without editing, without yes. without the filter of media and that layer of editing. Um, well, we're not entirely accustomed to it, and he's certainly a trial by fire when it comes to getting used to that sort of communication from the, the leader. But um, eventually, markets get used to it. They, 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 it happens with every president happens with every federal reserve governor it takes a bit of time to to get a feel for the guy and and understand in his case that not every tweet needs to be reacted to not every not every time he mentions something to do with trade or immigration or whatever it is but not every time is it actionable. Not every time is he gonna do anything. Never mind whether we should do anything.
0: Can we go back six months? Bank of Canada interest rates. You mm-hmm. know they're they're well you know they're not where they should be. And you know there was a certain definite mm-hmm. suggestion that they would be going up. And then month mm-hmm. by month by month mm-hmm. they backed off on that suggestion until we get to where we are today. And again in the states as well, yeah. where it's just like it's it's okay, just you know, relax. And then we're not going anywhere fast. So mm.
1: it's quite the hissy fit of the markets in the first place really when you when you look yeah, back that six months right yeah. so you go back to the beginning of october when the the markets started suddenly panicking that interest rates were going to shoot higher well it didn't take many t- months i mean three four months after that initial reaction that sent the markets uh, down in the fourth quarter a few months later the, the federal reserve and the markets are all saying oh that's it we're we're not going to touch interest rates yeah. again not for a year you know that uh, all of a sudden that that scare went away well i think it was just Especially with the benefit of that of hindsight, it was obviously an overreaction in the first place.
0: So, is this and, a good time for
1: investors? I mean, we talk
0: about not uh-huh. getting, not buying stuff when it's at its peak price, uh-huh. and when uh-huh. the markets are good, is that a good time for an investor
1: to you get know, into the market? I think all of uh, all of this comes back to the one fundamental truth in investing: you you invest based on yield. Ultimately, that's what what matters in the long run. In the short run, you have volatility and all sorts of market reactions, Mm -hmm. overreactions, and all sorts of shocks and surprises that come along, and it creates some volatility in markets. But over the long haul, and for investors of a disciplined and long long view, then yield is what matters most. And it doesn't matter so much whether that yield comes from interest rates or earnings or dividends or rental income if you were in in the property markets. Mm -hmm. It's what your money is going to return back to you And one of the best indicators of that, and one of the best indicators of how you would expect your portfolio, a diversified portfolio, to behave over time, and I mean long periods of time, five plus years, is whatever the current earnings yield is. So if stocks are trading at, uh, you'll often hear it as a price earnings ratio, 15 times earnings. Well, that's for every $15 you invest, you get a dollar of earnings from the company's profits. Well, a 15 to one ratio could just as easily be expressed as a say six and a half percent yield, a six and a half percent return, right? If you had a $15 investment in a GIC and it was paying you a dollar interest, the interest rate would have to be about six and a half percent. So earnings yields right now for stocks are in a normal sort of range. It's a comfortable place for them to be. They're not overpriced Mm -hmm. by that measure. And that probably, that six and a half percent uh, earnings yield that you're seeing right now, six to six and a half, plus inflation is likely uh, the best indicator of where our stock market returns would be half a dozen years down the road. Right? Well, at that, they're a whole lot more attractive than buying a GIC, right? Where, or buying a 10-year Canadian government bond right. and getting 2%. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Right? So by that measure, stocks aren't overvalued. They're historically about average value right now. So I don't find anything in that to make me frightened of them. And yet, we are a long way into a bull market, one that the JP Morgan uh, CEO this past week said could easily go on for two, three, four more years. There's no, there's no deadline to it. There's no uh, expiry date to a bull market. It could go on a lot longer, but it's uh, not overpriced at this. I think it's just a matter of, like we say so often, finding out what your objectives for this money are. If you're about to draw on that portfolio anytime in the next half dozen years, you, you take advantage of these good times and you start to try and scale back the volatility in your portfolio and prepare for the day where it, that, it, that income is going to have to be drawn. But um, I don't think there's anything much in this that would make me frightened of the stock component of a, a portfolio right now. And I can easily make the case that, yeah, we've got a lot more room to run. There's a lot more uh, growth ahead of us.
0: So. Do you think the Canadian federal election is going to have any impact this year? Or?
1: Well, I'm, I'm going to guess it has an impact on Justin Trudeau, but who knows? <laughs> so, <laughs> I was trying I to be know. really good yeah. and non-political. But yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, okay, so fine. I'll ask the question then. So if, you know, and, and the, the odds are in favor of a conservative government yeah. getting into power. And if they do, tends to be a better government for business. Yeah, uh, is that a good sign?
1: I think so, but I mean, <clears throat> in Canadian elections it just seems to be uh, which which party of the left are we going to appoint? Is it the very far left, the sort of middle of the road left, or the sort of conservative left? But it's there's nobody running in this country in the last little while at least on the idea that we need to drastically improve our competitiveness we need to cut tax rates we need to shrink the size of government and you mean entitlement the Andrew
0: make Canada great again or, yeah. or I mean open for business or whatever a,
1: as a as an economy a smaller government and a more vibrant and free fr- uh, private sector is the path to riches it's the path for, for to wealth now lots of countries make the decision that uh, they're gonna they're gonna walk both sides of that fence, right. uh, straddling a fence isn't yes. the most comfortable place for me, but <laughs> it's they still are making that decision. they' there we've got one foot on the socialist side, and we're going to redistribute right. wealth. and in all these things where they think it's important uh, like healthcare, education, whatever they deem most important, they decide government is the best place to do that. The mm-hmm. government is the most efficient means of delivering goods and services, which Demonstrably it is not. Did you see
0: the story about the uh, Ontario government losing money selling drugs?
1: Like that's amazing. How, how can you not have seen that coming, though? <laughs> I mean, there is virtually no endeavor that government can't lose money at. That's, that was <laughs> right, that's so. stunning, though. Yeah. I mean, you really do have to work to accomplish that when you ban your competition and still lose money offering yeah. it. Yeah, it's, it's it's impressive. This is the Sunday Money Show
0: here on In Depth Radio News Talk Ten Ten. I'm Ian Grant, and he is investment advisor Alan Cameron from Bellwether Investment Management. Phone lines are open this morning. You got a comment, question? We can take all kinds of stuff. We can talk about retirement, education planning. We can do RRSPs, investment strategy, tax deadline looming in a couple of weeks, by the way. You got questions, comments about that? Give us a shout, 416-872-1010. 416-872-1010. Text board open at 71010 or toll free, 877-518-5151. If you'd like to reach Alan, by the way, his phone number, 1-800-717-8117. His website, at 1LAllenCameron.com Take a break and when we come back I will hopefully have fixed the uh, mute on my telephone. Good morning, this is the Sunday Money Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. Hello, I'm Ian Grant and investor, investment advisor Alan Cameron is in studio this morning from Bellwether Investment Management Inc. If 2019 is the year that someone has decided they're going to retire, mm-hmm. Alan, what kind of plans should they start making You know, ahead of that? Is it something you plan for a couple of months, a couple of yeah. years? I mean, when do you, what do you do? Just draw a line in the sand, say this is the date it's going to happen and, mm-hmm. and here's how I'm going to work toward that? Yeah, I mean,
1: few people these days, I mean, in a modern economy, uh, few people have these defined benefit plans. You know, it's really, really just government workers that do it any, any longer. Um, so, we got used to all of us, I think, growing up, this idea that you have a date for retirement and in a defined benefit pension plan, it often doesn't pay to go beyond that day where you're entitled to your full pension. So, people go into those plans thinking, all right, I started working here at 25, I got to put in 30 years, there's my retirement date at age 60. Um, in reality, for most of us, it's it's a process, it's a push and pull, it's the... As you build up assets, you're building up a, an income potential. So as you build that portfolio up, you're getting to the point where, let's say, on your million dollars, you can live on $40,000 a year, but on two million, you can live on $80,000 a year. And as that income that you could sustain through retirement starts to rise, it's competing with your your time, your attention, your your patience for work, right? So if if, if you're at a point where, let's say, you could support an $80,000 pension income, um one day you go to work they've changed your boss or supervisor and you just say oh, that's it I hate this guy I'm out right and re- retirement decisions are made in part because of things like that something at work changed to just make it less attractive and you don't need it anymore or it could be as is often enough the case the the impetus for that is uh, you know, one of your high school friends dropped out of a heart attack and you think eh, life is short. I maybe I'm rethinking how much yeah. longer I want to keep working, right? Not all of us have the uh, the option of loving what we do and jumping out of bed to go and do it every day. People start to look at that and say, look, I can sustain a reasonable lifestyle without working and there's a lot of things that I still want to get done in life. Those kind of decisions around uh, retirement dates are what is much more common. What about
0: the impending run out of money date? Because there, mm-hmm. I mean, there is a formula. And if that formula suggests that, you know, at 86, you will no longer have mm-hmm. any pennies to spend.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a big part of what our whole retirement planning approach is, is trying to say, here's what you can sustain. Is it wise to spend at that level at less? Are you going to provide an estate? Uh, is that something that you value? Um, Or are we planning on the idea that you will run out of money by a certain point, at which point maybe you have to turn to the house and sell that to continue to, you know, if you live that long. Mm. Um, Well, that, that shouldn't be something that you guess going into retirement. It should be something that you know and the longer it's planned ahead of time, the better. But you do have to start preparing a portfolio. And you know, we are at, we're a long way from the market lows of 10 years ago who knows where that next market peak will will prove to be before we get a, a real bull market, a real bear market rather, one where it drops by 10, 15, 20% and stays that way for a year or more.
0: But even people relying on, you know, you said real estate selling the house. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, had they sold the house at, you know, Avenue Road and Shepherd yeah. two years ago, that have been two million dollars richer today, maybe a million too. That's eight hundred thousand yeah. dollars in retirement to this one. So
1: yeah, and you don't like to plan retirement around the realization of that asset, right? Because you got to live somewhere, and often enough, when people plan on selling the house in in part or downsizing to fund retirement, uh, that doesn't plan pan out as often as people say they're going to do that. Like they, they sell the place, but the place they move to. Ends up costing them more or less the same. Yeah. might be smaller and easier to maintain, but with maintenance costs and you know, uh, condo fees and all the other stuff, it, it turns out they're really not wealthier for it. But for those where you know, a, a huge amount of their wealth is tied up in real estate, it might be something you have to turn to in retirement at some point. Um, I, I think it's risky to, to count on that being the two million like you just said in your example. Because there's, if everybody does the same, if everybody's thinking that, who are they going to sell it to for $2 million? Where are all these wealthy homeowners going to come mm-hmm. from? So you know, I, I think it's more fair to look at the value your house had in 2014 rather than 2016 and at, at the peaks of the markets. Maybe that's a more reasonable price to say if we did have to sell it. Uh, but I think people have to have an idea of when that retirement date is. It comes from that planning process. And as you approach your retirement, we've got to be looking at the market conditions, right? We're a long way from the bottoms right now. Who knows how far uh, to the next peak, but we don't want to wait and be wrong. You can't enter retirement just the day that the market Mm -hmm. starts down and stays down for the next 18 months. You've got to be prepared to have a draw from something nice and safe and steady that doesn't decline during market uh, volatility and that has to start to form a larger portion of your portfolio as you get closer to that retirement day Mm. to the point where I would say you need to have a pretty good idea as you enter retirement that you've got an investment, uh, some portion of your total portfolio that is equal to around three years of spending and that that amount of money has to be in something where we know it's safe, it's steady, it's stable, and it's set aside for that purpose because that's the money that in a down market in a bad time that's the money you're going to use to live while we wait for, you know, some sanity to return. Like we've just got a little microcosm of it the last six months. You wouldn't want to have to be entering retirement December 24th after a market decline like that. And then starting into, into retirement, you're having to sell things at low prices. Well, we never want to be forced into those kind of decisions. If you're retired and you need the money, that money has to be someplace that we don't have to worry about market conditions. And that's part of the process getting to retirement building up that shorter-term component to the portfolio, building up a middle-term to the portfolio that isn't fully stock market-based, and it's, um, it gives you that stability in a place where you can draw in bad times. But that gets harder and harder in the kind of markets that uh, we've seen the last decade or so because of low interest rates. And uh, tr- you know, finding yield is getting to be a, a real challenge, has been a challenge for some time mm-hmm. for uh, retirees. How do you minimize risk in your portfolio and yet still get a reasonable return on those safer investments? And you know that's that's been quite a challenge and is ongoing
0: This is the Sunday Money Show on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. He is investment advisor Alan Cameron from Bellwether Investment Management. If you'd like to reach him, his office number is 1-800-717-8117, 1-800-717-8117. All his contact information available on the website, 1LALANCAMERON.COM, ALANCAMERON.COM. You can talk to us right here, though. Phone lines, text, you name it, phone line at 416-872-1010, Three eight seven seven five one eight fifty one fifty one and regular texting rate supply. You can send us a text comment or question at seven ten ten. Sunday Money Show will return here on News Talk ten ten. It is a rainy Sunday morning in Toronto, and thank you for joining us here on In-Depth Radio News Talk 1010. I'm Ian Grant, and this is the Sunday Money Show with investment advisor Alan Cameron from Bellwether Investment Management, Inc. Phone lines are open for your calls, comments, 416-872-1010. Toll-free across the country, actually, 877-518-5151, or you can text us, 71010. Len is in Cambridge this morning. Good morning, Len. Welcome in.
2: Hi, how you doing? Good, thanks. How are you? Yeah, yeah. I'm. Uh, I got a bit of a problem. I I started working when I was seventeen. I worked for over thirty years, put money away in my RRSP. I had to make one myself. My the company didn't have one. Um, and then I got sick. Yeah, I am unable to work. So. You're able to get the Canada Pension money, right? Which sort of helps you a little bit. It has no benefits. You get nothing other than some money. Yeah. Um, now the Ontario government, they have all kinds of things that you can get, providing you didn't do what I did, which was put money away in an RSP. Yeah. So what 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 can a person do? Like because they want me to take it all out. They want me to spend it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's pretty much a tax policy in this country and has been for <laughs> as long as I know. Um, yeah. You, you you punish people for the right behavior, you punish savers and investors and, you know, but well, generally uh, lots of us seem pretty happy to vote that way and yeah, you're, you're going to be expected to draw down uh, most of your assets before uh they'll kick in with a whole lot more in support so yeah i don't i don't know that there is a a great way past it and at this stage you know i guess the on the bright side you do have those savings to fall back on it's better than not but um yeah it's uh, it's a bit of a conundrum and you know you find the same thing in uh in all sorts of other governments uh, support programs, whether it's welfare, whether it's Mat Leave, whatever it may be, it's
2: Yeah. Um, but I, I there's thought a disincentive they always, to get to work. Uh, they always encourage you to save for mm-hmm. your retirement when you turn sixty five. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. So in my case they want me to be broke when I'm sixty five and they are they gonna look after me at that point or what y- happens then?
1: Yeah, to uh, probably not to a, a tremendous standard of living but I think that's that's kinda of the plan for them, yeah. Um, But I'm not sure that there's too many ways past it at this stage either, so, yeah.
2: Yeah, because there's there's no way to get that money out of your R.S.P. without losing it, a lot of it. Uh, Well,
1: I mean, without losing some of the other benefits that you mean. There's no harm in drawing on your R.S.P., it's just you're going to have taxes to pay. And uh, so, I mean, anybody can draw from their R.S.P., you just are drawing taxable income and yeah. that incurs a tax liability but where it starts to interfere with other means tested support programs and things that's that's where it becomes pretty expensive money not only are you paying the taxes you're surrendering other benefits that you may have been entitled to right? so yeah.
0: John I wish I we had a better answer for you yeah. so the RRSP if it you're paying tax twice right or am I missing no. something I I take money that I've earned and yeah. I put it into my RRSP. Right. I already paid tax on that money.
1: Yes, but you're also, when you put in your RRSP, you're going to get taxes back. Oh, You course, don't pay tax on that, that money, right. right? So, the, and yeah, that's the whole right. point of the RRSP is tax deferral. If you put $10,000 in and you're at the highest tax brackets, you're going to save $5,400 in taxes on that 10000 5400 you would have paid in tax. Yeah. But that 10000 is now taxable income whenever it's drawn from your RRSP, whether that's in retirement and at a lower tax bracket, which is the, the, the plan, that's what you hope for, mm-hmm. um, or whether it's on death, uh, tax-free to the surviving spouse, that first death between spouses, but fully taxable as income, and that's where you can get some pretty uh, horrific looking tax bills if somebody has a lot of money in an RSP or a RIF and passes away long before they've had a chance to to wind those down, uh, that's, you know, you get to some pretty high six-figure uh, T4 awful. slips coming out of those RSPs and RIFs. So
0: yeah i feel for lynn because he's yeah. right i mean he did the right yeah. thing he did exactly what he was you know and that money's supposed to be left there and now yeah. they're saying "Nah, you know what yeah, Spend
1: know. it." but i mean think think of uh the the reaction at least among a, a substantial portion of the voter the, the voter base if we said uh you can keep that half million dollars in there but we're gonna yeah, you're support right. you. The yeah. government will yeah. now support you're you for right. the rest of your life, right? You keep your money, we got you.
0: Yeah. <laughs> 416-872-1010 on the text board, 71010. Desmond is in Toronto this morning. Good morning, Desmond. morning,
3: how are you? Good, Good thanks. How are you? Okay, I've got some CP shares.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: I have got some Encana shares. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking of investing in some medical cannabis stocks. What do mm-hmm. you think of that?
1: Mm-hmm. Um. I think that anybody investing in those probably needs to view it as purely speculative, right? That it, it's a difficult thing to say for sure how much these companies will eventually be worth. Um, I think the Canadian stocks, because Canada was first out of the gate in terms of listing uh, publicly listed marijuana stocks, uh, and other jurisdictions will eventually come along. Others will start to, to to do the same thing as they legalize or at least liberalize their marijuana laws but they'll also eventually allow them to list publicly on stock exchanges. And that's going to suck some of the air out of these, because right now, the Canadian stocks have been pretty much the only place for uh, investors who are interested in the field to be funneling their money, and that's a lot of money crowding into a few stocks. Uh, But like all sorts of other things, um, there will eventually be a big winner coming out of this. 30 years ago, there was a whole pile of computer companies uh, and not nearly so many now. Yeah. You whittle, whittle that down to the strong and surviving few. If you knew ahead of time which one that was going to be, well, it was a great <laughs> investment return for you. Yeah. But if you if you didn't know that, well, there, there's some big losses in those. Okay. So, I, I think it has to be money that you're prepared to lose. It shouldn't be money that uh, it will determine whether you retire or not. And it, it should be more like money that will determine whether you retire with a boat or without it. Yeah. Yeah. So. Desmond, Uh, thank you for your call. Yeah, I mean, so many of those stocks are trading at outrageous valuations, right? Like trading at 40, 50 times their sales. Um, how will they ever make a profit just sufficient to justify that? Is there
0: an issue, and I'm asking because I'm I'm one of the people I'm going to talk about, but is there an issue because people have these preconceived notions about cannabis and the people who use it Mm -hmm. and the people who want to use it? And, you know, it's kind of sort of like those ethical funds where, you know, there's a lot of eye rolling and there's mm-hmm. a lot of, you know, snickering and people yeah. just kind of walk away.
1: Yeah. And there are, there are people out there in the investing world who will not buy, uh, not buy stocks that are involved in the gun industry or in defense or in alcohol or in tobacco or now in cannabis. Right? There's, there's always going to be people who don't like the industry for whatever, whatever reason that may be. Uh, but also ones where, yeah, maybe they just don't think that uh, there is a future to it. Well, markets are all about people who disagree. I I can't buy anything unless someone else disagrees and sells it (laughs) to me, so. Um, What what do you think? I mean, would you buy it? Would you
0: buy it just as a fun thing, a fun money stock?
1: Nah, I I think I would have more fun in a casino. (laughs) Um, I, I, I just don't know. Any enough about any one of those companies right. to say that they're clearly worth these outrageously high valuations that are on them, right? There hasn't been a point where I looked at them and thought, geez, these 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 guys are going to make so much money that that price for that stock is somehow justifiable today. Uh, loads of them aren't making any money, don't have any immediate plans to be making no. any money. Yeah. And uh, I don't think that the, the market is going to grow at the same pace that they do. Meaning, you can have, let's say uh, the demand for marijuana in Canada because of legalization and the uh, availability of it all, let's say the demand that was there in the previous market where it was illegal in black market, doubles, triples, you, you name it, whatever you want it to be, quadruples, right? That all of a sudden everybody's high all the time, we're smoking mm-hmm. weed left and right. Mm-hmm. Um, even if that were the case, you can increase the supply of marijuana probably tenfold Every year, right? You, you just keep just on buying more. more greenhouses, and yeah. you keep on expanding capacity, and you just keep on growing it. But it's not like this is a car company we're trying to start here. It's it's relatively modest barriers to entry, but for the regulatory need, stuff you have to get beers through.
0: Barriers to buy up all the marijuana I mean, companies, and
1: but I, this is stuff that can grow just about any place, anywhere. And uh, a lot of the Canadian companies, because they were the first to market in this seem to be priced on the idea that when the world wakes up to our our forward way of thinking and everybody's legalized, that Canada's gonna be the supplier. And I find that a (laughs) leap far too far. This is the
0: Sunday Money Show here on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. Phone lines open this morning, 416-872-1010, 416-872-1010, toll free 877-518-5151. If you'd like to reach Alan, by the way, his office number is 1-800-717-8117, 1-800-717-8117. You can get all his contact information at his website, 1L, ellencameron.com. This is the Sunday Money Show on In-Depth radio news talk 1010 kind of a soggy sunday out there so i'm glad you're joining it with me and investment advisor alan cameron from bellwether investment management inc phone lines are open this morning we all kinds of questions 416-872-1010 toll free 877-518-5151 william is in mississauga this morning good morning william thank you good
3: good morning gentlemen good morning morning so alan just a, just a brief brief bio. Uh, basically, I'm 41 years old. I work in the public sector. I have that holy grail of the DB pension plan. Yep. However, I started in the public sector many many moons ago when I was a wee lad, and I have a lira right. after I left and came and then I came back, but the pension went out into the lira. Right. Now I can take that lira. I can throw it back into the pension plan. However, as as I've gotten older, that money is sort of worth less than it was if I had just left it in the pension plan right so it's sitting there it's in a it's a nice little in a little sort of basically a nice little index fund type of thing it's growing I don't know whether or not I'm just it's better just to leave it should I suck it up throw it back into the pension plan mm-hmm. is it is it what's sort of the general things because I wanted to use it to tap into uh, my uh, to tap into to potentially buy a house mm-hmm. but I found out that you can't use Lira's like you can use RRSPs right. with the home buyer's plan and that was kind of that was uh that was unfortunate.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so uh you know interesting scenario you you don't necessarily find a uh, a great number of people who are sort of in and out of the public sector like this but we run across it before and um it's a tough question sometimes to to decide whether or not you want to be buying back in, you know, buying taking your Lira, buy back into the pension plan, and you're basically buying up years where let's say you intend to stick with the, the public sector for the remainder of your career, and you might be able to retire at 63 with an unreduced pension, but you buy back a few years and you, you get to retire at 59 type of thing, right? Exactly. But, but, yeah. you, but you do have to do a bit of the math, um, so you can send me the details and I can uh, try and help you through it, but you do have to do a bit of the math to decide whether or not the rate of return that that gets you on that money, that money that you currently have in your locked-in RSP, whether yeah, the rate I of return that you're yeah. going to get putting it into the pension plan is is worthwhile, whether it justifies making that. One of the other considerations is the money that's in that lira right now, even if all things were equal, let's say that you figured the pension plan was going to give you a six percent return and you think your investments are going to give you six percent. If all things were equal, the estate value of your locked in RSP is very real. When you pass away, whatever's left in that account is going to be passing on to spouse, heirs, whatever it may be. Um, There is no estate value to your pension. Right, that when you pass away it's reduced to a surviving spouse by usually 40% right off the bat and then it's gone on the second death between the spouses. So, sometimes it's the estate value that is the the tipping point in that decision, um, but it could be in your case maybe now you, you're you're eager to retire at a certain date and if this gets you a reasonable return on your money and gets you to a an unreduced pension sooner that could be the, the tipping point, right? So, um, But yeah, if you want to shoot me an email or something like that, I can probably uh, do some of that math along with you and see at least what you're facing. Uh, You'd have to get an estimate from them about how much it would cost you to buy back how many years of service and all that. So.
0: There you go, William. If you would like to reach Alan all his contact information, including email address, at his website, one L AlanCameron.com. You know, I do the uh, the employment loss show with Howard Levitt, and mm. we talk about people, you know, finding out they're fired and realizing that yeah. they're now there's now a lot of responsibility that they never considered they would have. It's got to be pretty much the same with people who decide to leave the company pension plan, and all of a sudden, they have more money than they They've ever had po- probably mm-hmm. in their life before, and they're not a financial advisor, they're just a guy like me with a very big check. And mm-hmm. I, at that point, I'm drawing the parallel in, you know, take a step back and decide carefully what you are going to do from this point forward.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's a day most people aren't going to forget if they weren't expecting to, uh, to come home unemployed that day, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. uh, and one of the things that is so overwhelming on those days is uh, all of a sudden you're going to go from being a marketing director or HR uh, advisor to to a financial expert. Here's here's six figures. Off you go. Figure yeah. out what to do with it, right? Sometimes um, more. Yeah. And it's uh, it's a challenge for sure. I mean, I, I imagine uh, on the employment show, there, you're frequently going to be talking about the fact that you don't want to make any decisions no, suddenly. Absolutely. No That's, rash decisions exactly. whatsoever. You want to make sure that you take your time. And part of that process, I think, is see a financial advisor, see mm-hmm. somebody who's got your best interests at heart and then uh, can at least help you make some of these financial decisions. It's not the end of the world by any stretch and it's uh, often enough a great opportunity. In fact, some of my top clients, some of my wealthiest clients, that's the turning point in their life that put them on that road. They were employees someplace, the company restructured, it failed, whatever it was, and they had to become business owners. Hmm. Right? They They started up not because it, it would have been hard to leave a comfortable job and you know the you have responsibilities it would have been hard to leave but they were forced to leave yeah, that's and true some of my wealthiest clients, that's the day, that's the turning point. I think for the, the vast point. majority of people that usually, and there's a yeah. lot,
0: you know, it's very few you'll meet who don't agree that, mm-hmm. you know, that day was terrifying, but mm-hmm. looking back on it, thank goodness yeah, it happened. that's the best thing ever, yeah. You know, um, but having said that, you don't want to start booking around the world cruises with that money, no. you know, because that's, it's a huge amount of money and, you know, no matter what the sum is, it's usually a fair chunk mm-hmm. and, you know, you, the initial reaction is what am i going to spend it on and not realizing that you know yeah. it kind of needs to be you uh, yeah uh,
1: you're, you're spending it on your future you're spending yes. it on your your future self or your retirement yeah uh yeah certainly not the uh, the best of times when you're out of work to to be splurging no. a, and and rewarding yourself <laughs> but um but i think it's uh it's just another one of those things where maybe it's uh it's a, a nice twist of fate that that forces people to do some financial planning that they otherwise it's easy to procrastinate on, um, but the you know William was talking about the, the locked in RSP account mm-hmm. so that's money that has been contributed on your behalf to a pension plan by the employer, it's locked in meaning that you can't access it until you're 55 years of age and for most cases uh, if you can access until you're 55 years of age at which point you take that lira locked in retirement account and you convert it to a LIF, a life income fund, at which point there's a limit on how much you're able to draw each year. A bit of a function of age and interest rates, but let's call it eight percent of the value of the plan is the maximum you can draw from there year after year after year. And there's usually a minimum as well. Uh, If you're drawing at a young age, it's call it three and a half to four percent. Right. But There is a maximum and that can get in the way. People thinking, geez, I've got six, $700,000 in this locked in RSP and yet Right, that's the right, most can you can draw is, say, $48,000. And that's
0: what he was saying. I mean, he thought that yeah. he could use it for his house, a mm-hmm. new house, which,
1: when you think about yeah. it, it would make sense, right? But yeah, no, it's your money. It's just... Uh, well, it's it, not really. It, it's, it's, your, it's your money, and the government, says, the government is going to determine how you spend it and when. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> so, Do you think
0: most people... I, I, okay, well, let me ask this differently, because I don't believe most people have a clue how much they need to retire. Mm-hmm. We could open up the phone lines, we can take the text messages, and we've been doing this show for so so many years, time and time again, one of the questions keeps cropping up, Alan, how much do I need to retire? How much do I need to retire? Yeah. It's it's kind of scary that people honestly don't realize mm-hmm. that that answer is not quick math calculation.
1: Yeah, I think it's, uh, it's certainly true that, I mean, it, we, we don't have a broad public education effort at uh, no, financial planning no, issues. So you know, lots of people may have some familiarity with it, but they picked it up on their own. And I think one of the other challenges that people have, and I just had to, this conversation with clients this past week, um, is trying to figure out just what you do need in retirement. Right, that They're accustomed, they've got three kids in university now, they've got uh, all kinds of employment expenses that they won't have then. They're accustomed to also paying a tremendous amount of income tax because mm-hmm. of how their income is uh, is paid out to them. Well, and they've still got a mortgage. They're trying to get paid down quite, uh, fast. So when you back all of these things out, even though they might have a, you know, maybe say $15,000 monthly income after taxes now, well, you take out all of the things that they are accustomed to spending money on, education, mortgage interest, all of these things, and remove all of that. What you're left with is that they actually have a relatively modest lifestyle that they don't need $150,000, $200,000 in retirement income. They, they need a fraction of that. Right to do what they do now because all these other things hopefully will be gone by then, right? All these other expenses. That's a great
0: point. And yet the money's just sitting there doing nothing for them. (laughs) Thank you, sir. That was a fast, fun hour. I really appreciate it. And we're back in a couple of weeks. This has been the Sunday Money Show on In-Depth Radio, News Talk 1010. If you'd like to reach Alan, his office number, 1-800-717-8117, 1-800-717-8117. His website, 1LAllenCameron.com, for all the information. I'm Ian Grant, back with Howard Levitt this afternoon, 1 o'clock for Employment Law, here on News Talk 1010.